The first Sunday of each year, I have the privilege of standing in this pulpit. And if you wish, standing in the role of uh, a prophetic minister, what does that mean? We believe that God speaks to us primarily through this Bible, but God still speaks to us through men and women through revelatory means. And over the past few years, I've had the privilege of kind of peering ahead as to how God wants to prepare us by informing us that which he is about to do among us. And the last few years, I've had the privilege of doing this. Last year, I spoke probably uh, my least favorite prophetic message. It was entitled, From Groaning to Glory. I don't know if any of you remember that message. I groaned when I gave it. Um, But 2018 definitely wound up being a year of groaning. How many of you are more or less happy 2018 is behind you? All right, come on, there we go. One or two hands went up. You know, and just the circumstances around lives, some things that we faced as a nation, it just seemed to just create groaning. But at the same time, the promise in Scripture is that God is moving us from glory to glory. And even in that groaning of the change that God is always enacting in our life, there is a glory on the end. Now, we know that we will continue in this process as long as this thing called respiration is happening with us. So as long as we are in this body, we are going to be what? Changing, going from glory to glory. Scripture says when we see him, we'll be like him. But as we moved into 2019, God began to speak to me really back in September about what he really was desirous to do coming into this next season. And it's very, very interesting how in many ways this message uniquely sort of connects to 2018's message. How many of you know that God has never been impressed with a 365-day calendar? And so many people, as I've given this word, they get to January 1st, the word didn't fully manifest in their life, they're waiting with stones waiting for me as I leave. Let me just tell you, God is always speaks to us in relative time frames called seasons. And so here we go. Turn in your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 5. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture that if you've been around the church just for a moment, you've probably heard this passage exegeted. You've probably heard it preached, applied, etc., and so forth. But it's important enough that it winds up in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we'll look at the account in Luke. Luke 5, verse 36. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Let's pray. Lord, help us this afternoon hear well, not just with natural cognition, natural ears, but let us truly hear by the Spirit what the Spirit is saying to the church. Help us, enable us, empower us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wineskins, ugh, what an unhappy 
very visceral way, if you wish, to transport something. A wineskin was made from the skin of an animal. And after it had been slaughtered, there was a, a brief tanning process, and then all the openings were sewed together, and except for one opening where the wine was poured in and then it was sewed up. It was a transport mechanism invented by the Romans. Now, they didn't have neat things like you know, Tupperware and baggies and stuff like that. So they had to use what was available to them. We know that in Jesus' first miracle of turning the water into wine at Cana, it was done in these large earthen jars, but that wasn't practical for transport. And so the thing about a wineskin is that, one, it was available, but secondly, it was eminently flexible to contain that which needed to be moved. Now, the wineskin was always intended to be temporary. Why? Because number one, it's disgusting. You didn't want the wine, what was inside, to take on the flavor of a wine skin. And so it was always intended to be a temporary storage place, just a mode of transport. By the way, could I just tell you that you as a wineskin of the Holy Spirit, you are also a temporary transport vehicle for God in this realm. Amen? And that at some point, we're not going to need it anymore. As we see him, we're like him. Amen? So that's really what we are. You and I are the same way. Now, Jesus in this parable, and really there are three parables in one, the cloth, the wineskin, and then the, the juxtaposition of old wine and new wine. But he's really saying the same thing in all three of these many parables. And he was speaking specifically to a very religious audience, to Pharisees, who based on all of the jots and tittles and the lines and the rules and the regulations that the old covenant, the law, provided for them, they were pretty righteous. They were pretty righteous dudes. They, they knew their Bible. They knew the scripture. They were living according to it. And yet, in this moment, what Jesus was trying to highlight was the incompatibility of that old system, that old covenant, and that which he was about to do in their midst. Now, Bible types Types and shadows in the Bible. The wineskin speaks to something here. And what Jesus was trying to describe is that what I'm wanting to do in and through you, the way that you're currently constructed, it's not going to work. You see, before God does anything, before there's a fresh outpouring of who he is, that which he desires for our lives, there's always the requirement of a new wineskin every time God wants to move in a new way. Consider Pentecost for a moment. One of the normal feasts, one of the, one of the, the feasts that everyone gathered for multiple times a year, but this one was Pentecost. But in this particular moment, something was different. Tongues of fire descended. They began to worship God in other languages. And let me just tell you, in this moment, whatever that had happened in previous Pentecost celebrations, this one was decidedly different. Wineskins. And there has to be a new wineskin, fresh, pliable, and that wineskin is you and me. It's the church. 
my wife and I were pastoring a church in North Carolina in the mid-90s. And it was a very, very unique time, and I'll never forget this. One summer, it was in August, all of a sudden people started weeping in our service. I mean, I was trying to be the senior pastor and the worship leader at the same time, and so navigating all of this, and, and we were doing the happiest songs we knew how, to, but people were just responding to God in a very unique way as the Holy Spirit was coming as an agent of conviction, and people were literally on the floor, weeping, broken before God. And I'm thinking, what? First of all, it's not very guest-friendly. All right? It's just like, what is wrong with this church? You know, what, what is happening to these people? And so for an entire month, this was the flavor. This was the tenor. And it's not that we were trying to manufacture this. We weren't preaching in this direction. This was just something God was doing. But what I didn't know in that moment is that it was preparation for what was yet to come. Because what happened subsequent to that was astounding. Miracles, signs, wonders, people being touched by the Holy Ghost, falling out, laughing. It was a mess, let me just tell you. But it was wonderful. But it was that moment, that month before, that God had come and prepared a new wineskin to be able to receive that which he was pouring out in that moment. <coughs> Excuse me. And inasmuch as I believe, as, as Jesus had an encounter with the woman at the well, and if you remember, as she tries to discuss theology with him, he finally says that the time is coming when the Father is going to seek those who will worship in spirit and in truth. I believe that God is searching for wineskins in this moment, suitably prepared for an outpouring of which some of us have never seen before. Thank you very much. And some of what you are already experiencing around your life, let me just tell you, as strange as it might seem, I'm going to give some context for it this afternoon, which will help many of you, I believe. I had a real vision, a picture from God, of God literally with a pitcher, if you wish, full of oil. That oil representing himself, his presence, his anointing, signs, wonders. And literally poised to begin to pour himself out in a new way. And inasmuch as the Father is looking for worshipers, I believe God is looking for prepared wineskins in this moment to pour himself into. And I believe this has implication and application not only for individuals, but I believe for churches, groups of churches, and I believe even governmental and corporate structures as well. Many things that have, have gotten brittle, they've lost their flexibility. Let me just say, don't be surprised in 2019 if it becomes a very, very unique year to watch certain things just begin to, if you wish, implode and explode as God comes to examine what this wineskin looks like. You know, the very first thing that one understands about wineskins is that they are eminently flexible, hence why they're chosen. Some years ago, and I cannot find the quotation, so I'll just have to credit two men with it. It was either Leonard Ravenhill or A.W. Tozer made this statement. This was decades ago. 
that my concern is that we know too much and are in danger of missing the next move of God. We're so full, we have this paradigm of who God is, how God has to do a thing. That my concern is that God might actually move in such a way that we might miss him. We may not really ascribe this is really God moving among a people. Because it doesn't look like anything we've seen before. It doesn't, it doesn't touch anything in our understanding. It doesn't touch anything historical. Some of your theology is going to get messed with this year in a really good way. John chapter 5, Jesus speaking once again to the Pharisees. He says, you know, you guys diligently study the Scriptures because by them you think that you possess eternal life. But guys, listen, these are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Here are the Pharisees, these are the theologians, these are the learned, these are the guys that, quote, read their Bible every day. And yet Jesus, God, standing in front of them says, you're missing it. You've got all this understanding, you've got all this knowledge, and yet there is such rigidity in your life, you can't see the gift of God that stands in front of you. My goodness. Their wineskins had become rigid, had become brittle. Galatians chapter 2, Paul writing says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What a strange passage of Scripture. That the rule, somebody said it this way, that the real secret to the Christian life is that you can't live it, Christ has to live it in you. He has to live it through you. How many of you have found this about your own life? The way that Paul wrote in Romans, everything I don't want to do, I do, and everything I should do, I don't. God has to change us. He has to shift our appetites. I've been crucified with Christ. That wineskin, you know when it's the most flexible? Closest to the death of the animal from which it was taken. Do you realize that our flexibility is directly connected to our morbidity? And it begs a question for you and for me this afternoon. What is it that we need to die to? What is it on the inside of us that needs to die, that needs to be crucified with Christ. Here's a kingdom principle, death before resurrection. We all want resurrection. We all want power, the power of God. We all want miracles and these wonderful things. But what is it that's prerequisite? And the flexibility, this new wineskin, it's going to require some morbidity. It's going to require that we die to some things, die to our own thinkings, die to our own paradigms. This is certainly how God will do a thing. Wow. How many of you, what you know about God is pretty radically different today than it was 10 years ago? Come on. 
You know, when I got saved, I knew enough about God to step into that moment of invitation. But I got to tell you is that the God that I served 40 some odd years ago and the God that I know today, they're almost two different folk. Now, listen, the nature and character of God is his immutability. What does that mean? He never changes. But how many of you know your understanding of who this God is because of the limitations of human cognition? Because he's God, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. There's always going to be a frustration with how much of God we can really get a hold of. Everybody get this? Yeah, I understand, Pastor Jim, but I don't like it. I got it. And I'm not saying that we throw away what we know. I mean, the theology, the Bible, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the blood. I mean, I'm not talking about we throw away what is sound foundation in theology. But what I'm saying, I believe God is coming to challenge who he is in our life. Some of us have it figured out the same way the Pharisees had it figured out. One theologian said this about the Holy Spirit, never say never and never say always as it concerns the move of God. And that wineskin of relational revelation has to be ever expanding. You see, if it's not, it means we've reduced God to man-sized thinking. And we've reduced God in anthropomorphic terms so that we can best understand him. And the reality is, there's something about the largeness of God that only happens as we allow our wineskins to expand. But with that flexibility, it's directly related to capacity. You know, one of the things I've noted about God is it's never a supply problem. Have you ever wondered why this person gets the healing, this person gets the money, this person gets the promotion, and it's like by the time we get to the end of the row, it's like nothing's left for me. It's like, did God run out? How is it that they got the best and it seems like I didn't get nothing? But it's never a supply issue with God. It's a container issue with you and with me. It's that simple. I mean, Ephesians chapter 3 says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't know how, I don't, I don't I, what does that mean? <laughs> filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I got to tell you, whatever that is, somehow I've got to get a lot bigger to contain that than what I currently understand and what I practice. Paul goes on in Ephesians 1, and he talks about the church being the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is what we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to look like. If you wish, this is our mission, to find out how much of God can we contain at one time. But it begs a question for you and for me. Is there any space? Is there any room in there? I mean, one thing about God is that this amazing efficiency, God doesn't pour himself out where there's no room for him to be contained. 
The story in 2 Kings 4, the widow of the prophet, and she's out of money, and, 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 the, and, she, and the miraculous oil begins to flow as long as there were empty containers. But when the containers got full, what happened? The oil stopped flowing. Let me ask you a question. Where has the oil stopped flowing in your life? Where has the wine stopped flowing in your life? Is there any room? Is there any space? My wife and I, post-Christmas, she has discovered Marie Kondo. Now, if you don't know who Marie Kondo is, she's this marvelous little Japanese lady who basically hates your stuff. She is, or she doesn't hate your stuff so much as, here's, here's her axiom, it's, it's, does it bring you joy? And it's like, well, yes, all this stuff brings me joy. All this stuff bursting out of my closets and all this stuff bursting out of, it all brings me, no, it doesn't. And so my wife is, is about to become condoized. And we need a verb for what's happening here, all right, of making space, deliberately making room, if you wish. And let me just tell you, it's a painful process many times because we realize what we've gotten full of other than God. And many times, it's not that we're full of sin. It's not that we're full of selfishness. It's not this. It's the good stuff now that's taking up the space. It's why I want to keep it all. I like it all. I've acquired it all. I've purchased it. It's why fasting makes room. And not just in your belly. You know the fasting God's calling me to next week besides food? This. You know, I have a very uncomfortable relationship with the lady that lives in this box, Siri. I just want it. I want it. I, want, I just, and, and not because it's a her. I mean, it, it could be Ciro. I don't care what, but whatever it. It is on the inside of this thing. And now, now, TMI, this thing called screen time. It's why I make a point never to go to the doctor more than once a year. Because I can't deal with this whole scales issue more than once a year. You understand what I'm saying? Because you can lie to yourself, you know. I think I'm, you know. But you get on that scale, and you're there, and it's just like, can I, can I take my shoes off, you know, and... Let me get my jacket off because I know these shoes are at 15 pounders, you know, each. And so you're doing everything you can in that particular moment because that scale is just too much information. But now, see, exactly, it's terrible. But now we look down and it says average time, three hours and 30 minutes a day. And you thought, I thought that was the whole week. <laughs> you want to talk about fasting and making room? Put this away for five days. And some of you are already in, you're already in the DTs. I can see it right now. What kitty cat videos am I going to miss on YouTube in five days? Oh, my But is there any room? 
Is there any space? And many of us, we're so full of useless. And I'm talking about in the context of eternity now. Information. The deception of distraction and diffraction and dilution of all of this stuff that constantly comes to us. And we wonder, where is the outpouring of God in my life? Where is the infilling I keep asking for? God's saying, where's the space for it? Wow. And you know, so many historical moves and movements and denominations of God, they started with a people that said, God, fill us. And at some point in their, in their history, they said, okay, we're done. We like it this way. This is our understanding of God. This is our understanding of worship. This is what we know about the Scripture. So we're done right here. And it was at that moment. And whether it was declared by virtue of a council somewhere or if it just evolved in terms of, uh, of just an evolution of liturgy, at some point, that's when the new wine and the oil begin to diminish, if not stop. And we can say, oh, that won't happen to us. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we Pentecostal. We charismatics. We specialize in this. But let me just tell you, you're not immune. We're not immune to that wineskin losing its flexibility. And then the integrity, my third point. Beyond just an integrous individual, the integrity that comes out of a person's actions or their life, another definition of that word, it says, is an undivided or unbroken completeness or totality with nothing wanting. Is the emphasis on the wineskin or the wine? I got to tell you that so much of what I read, and most of it coming, much, much of it rather, coming from Christian, Christian sectors or many of the messages that I hear, there's a lot of emphasis on the wineskin, but not a whole lot on the wine. What this is really all about. What does the wine taste like when it comes out? You know, winemakers, they use containers as part of the winemaking process. The container is an integral part of it. It's not just the grapes. It's not just the aging. There's a region in France that grows a particular type of oak tree. And this particular wood has a particular odor about it. It has a way of imparting a certain flavor of itself to that which is on the inside. Winemakers, so French oak is where they get their barrels from. And so there's certain types of wine. There, there are other types that you can see, you know, that, that are finished in, in, in oak barrels. And yet there are other wines, like many whites, that are finished in stainless steel because the winemaker doesn't want any influence of the container on the wine. And some of you are saying, why does Pastor Jim know so much about wine? <laughs> it's called the internet. Okay. But let me just ask you, 
is what's on the inside the primary influence on the outside or is the outside influencing what's on the inside? Are we taking on the form of what's on the inside? That was always the intention of the wineskin. You pour that wine in and that skin begins to turn into this whatever form. But once that wineskin loses its flexibility, all of a sudden now, what's on the inside takes on the form of the outside. And not only the form, but the taste and the flavor. My wife and I live in the mountains. We've, some of you know that. And we have the most marvelous water up there. I mean, all you got to do is just kind of, you know, kick a, just kick a rock and a spring will come up. So we have this water that comes out of this just amazing aquifer. But my wife would come down in the morning to make tea or to get, a, get some water to drink, and she'd turn the faucet on and let the water run for a while. And I'm like, woman, no, excuse me, I said, dear, sorry, 40 years of marriage last year as well, okay, dear, why must thouest runneth the water? For such a protracted season of time, what is thou hoping to accomplisheth? She says, I can taste the pipes. What? She says, I can taste the pipes. Now, for me, you know, chocolate, fried chicken, that's, I mean, that's as sophisticated as my palate gets. I just got, but my wife's. It's H2O, but it's got hints of copper. <laughs> and so we got this Culligan thing, you know, that balances the pH and does all these kinds of things and I guess takes certain things out and puts certain things in. And now my wife, I don't taste the copper anymore. But you see, I couldn't taste the metallic edge. She could. What metallic edge is coming out of our wineskin? As the wine of God, as the person of Christ is coming forth from us, does the skin taste like us? Does the wine taste like us? And what is us? I mean, we use terms like, you know, culture and tribe and family and us and all of this. And listen, I love Grace Covenant Church. I love our every nation world. I love being a Protestant. But the reality is, do those things flavor our wine? Huh. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not a taste and see of what the Lord tastes like along with what you taste like. And this is what people are really looking for in our culture today. They're looking for an unobstructed glimpse of Christ. Is Jesus easy to find or do we have to go through all of the stuff and the culture and the theology and what you believe and what he believes? And No, 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 no. God has another way. And then lastly, what is the remedy for all of this? Okay, Pastor Jim, you've made your point. The need for flexibility, with that flexibility, increased capacity. The integrity that that which is on the inside 
is going to come forth without being affected by the outside, by the, by the vessel. So what's the remedy? Well, let me tell you, I be, believe it begins with a divine disillusionment. And that almost sounds like a contradiction of terms. Well, I thought God was about making me happy. I thought this was about self-actualization and the release of destiny and fulfillment and all these wonderful divine disillusionment, I believe, is where it begins. And it begins with the divine disillusionment of the quantity and the quality of Christ being expressed in and through our life. You know, I gave up a long time ago on trying to be smart. So, while there are always going to be folk out there that they're going to know a lot more about Greek and Hebrew and the scriptures and history, great, wonderful. But you know, the people that really attract me now are men and women that I know that they have, they have tasted something. There's something of God that they've experienced and that they know of which I'm completely unaware. And reading, you can tell, they've had an encounter with the living Christ that I've only talked about. They're the people that inspire me now. And whether it's Historical writers or contemporary writers, these are the men and women I want to be around. Not just the smart ones, but the ones that know something of God. And that begins with you and me of being disillusioned, of being dissatisfied with the status quo, of just knowing enough of God to keep us out of hell and keep money in our bank accounts. That was never the intention of Christ coming and dying the way that he did. He could have chosen other means of salvation, other means of supply via angelic support. There are parts of the church right now where the emphasis really is on what angels can provide and what they can do rather than the centrality and the purpose and person of Christ himself. So how do we regain that? A right kind of discontentment that draws us of getting tired of the old to embrace the new. 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I, I, I thought like a child, talked like a child, walked like a child. Eventually, at some point, we've got to get sick of the old in order to take the new. Most of us came to salvation being sick of what sin was doing to us. I mean, it wasn't sin as some kind of, it wasn't the punishment for sin. It was a punishment by sin. And we finally got tired of it. And we, we said, God, I'm done. I'm giving up. I wanted to try something new. Many of us have gotten leaky. Haggai describes a bag with holes. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You've got clothes, but you're yet you're still cold. And you've got, you, you, you put Wages and purses with holes. Now, the primary way that we get holes in our wineskins is through sin. But I believe there's another way that we get leaky. It's through the wrong priorities. And God's pouring himself out, and there are all these holes of diffraction and distraction and different priorities in our life. And God pours, and it leaks out. And finally, God says, not going to do that anymore. 
Did I not say from the very beginning, thou shalt have no other what? Gods. So, Pastor Jim, I don't worship other gods. Anything by which you derive support or comfort from has the potential of becoming a deity in your life. And we wonder, why are we leaky? Why are we leaky? I was on the phone this just a few days ago with one of our church planters and pastors in Europe, and he was describing, he said, Pastor, he said, I, I, there was a time that I was so excited about ministry, I, I couldn't wait to get up and, and just go at it, and there was just such passion. What happened? He said, I just don't feel that anymore. I said, congratulations. You just defined maturity. It's not that we get fulfillment from what we do. It's that we find our fulfillment, but for whom we're doing it. And there's a huge difference in the two things. Forty years of marriage, I can't say I like every moment of serving my spouse. Every one of them, including her eating off my plate. Although most of what's on my plate, she doesn't like anyway, so we're good. But when I think about for whom I'm doing it, all of a sudden it works. It's not about how I'm serving is somehow fulfilling me. It's about her. It's a shifting of priority. Predictability of habit. Exchanging wrong ones for the right ones. Mobility. Willingness to move when God says move. And let me tell you, we get, we, we, we get a little bit old, and I'm there. It's a little bit harder to get up and down that ladder, sometimes even get in and out of that bed. I mean, little things are cracking and creaking that you didn't know existed five years ago. And you begin to realize that with age, we tend to lose flexibility. We have to work harder to just retain the flexibility that we had much less gain new, requires effort. And then it's remedy unity. You realize God commands a blessing on unity? As the oil ran down Aaron's beard, it says in Psalms, he says, so is when brothers dwell in unity. But you know, you can't do unity without community. Oh, just me and Jesus in my prayer closet. That's, there it's part of your problem. Because God never intended for you to live this out by yourself. If I hear one more time from a millennial, I'm spiritual but not religious. You know, that simply means you just don't want to be with folk. You've defined it on your own terms. That's exactly what it means. But part of your spirituality is how you do life together. So while I'm here on Sunday, I'm good to go. Check. But, you know, we have a midweek meeting. It's called 715. Meets at 715 on Wednesday night. We have, we have these other things called small groups. Yeah. Four people happy about small groups. <laughs> but this is where you do life together. All we do here, we come, we partake, we listen, we, we high-five somebody, praise the Lord, on the way out the door. But that's not doing life together. Yes, this is important. Don't neglect the assembling together, but it's how we come together. Unity is part of the way that we maintain 
this flexibility. That early church wasn't just power, signs, wonders, and the presence of God, but it was how they were doing life together. Scripture says that they will know you by your love, and not just your love for God, but your love for one another. That's got to be seen. What have I said? This is a moment that I think we need to embrace a divine discontentment with the quantity and quality of that which we've experienced in the past. You know, one of the promises of the Beatitudes was they that hunger and thirst will be filled. We're so afraid of both. And yet it's in both places that there is a promise of being filled. Where have you lost your flexibility? Where do you need to die in order for fresh life to flow? Your capacity for knowing God. The integrity of what's coming out of your life. Is it a mixture or is it purity? And then the remedies. The juxtaposition of old and new. 